This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Everyone, it's time once again for Evidence for Faith. This is the voice of Ratio Christi, the Student Apologetics Alliance. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program where we help Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And today we're going to be talking about evolution. So get ready for an exciting show. But I want to mention to everybody that they should check out our website, evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com, where we have archived radio shows. You should also check out iTunes or Double Twist if you'd like podcast versions of the show. We have a Facebook page for people who like to post or ask questions. And as always, you can email us at evidenceforfaith.com. And do check out ratiochristi.org to learn more about apologetics clubs at the university level. So, Kirk, have you had a great week? Yeah, pretty good. I heard that you have a new pastor now. Yes, we do. That's great. That's exciting. So it's been a long search, right? Two and a half years. Wow. Wow. Since our last pastor left. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you went through a lot of temporary guys then. Yes. We had a my wife calls it a speaker of the week. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And does that cost less than having a full time pastor? Uh it probably does in the long run, but it can get kind of expensive, you know, if you're doing it every single week for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say maybe you should take this pastor's salary and divide it up and pay the guys who came in by the week. <laughs> Well, whatever. well. Anyway, uh, do, you, do you have anything uh, coming up that you wanted to uh, announce for people who are living locally? Uh, yeah, actually, I could mention. Of course, Easter is coming up at the end of the month. We'd be uh, glad to have any visitors for that. We're, uh, of course, I'm talking about Linwood Community Church on Shore Road in Linwood, New Jersey. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to have a special guest in our morning service at 11 a.m. We are going to have, believe it or not, Pontius Pilate, oh. <laughs> who is going hey, to make great. he's going to make a special appearance, and he's going to tell us his side of the Easter story. Ah, interesting. So you may want to catch that if you can. It should be very, uh, very fascinating. And when is it? Sunday night. This he's- is this will be in our morning service at eleven a.m. next Sunday. Okay, Palm cool. Sunday. Cool. Uh, that's that does sound pretty clever. Of course, it will be our new pastor role-playing, and I should probably mention that. Oh, okay. Pontius Pastor, huh? Yeah, the real Pontius Pilate is a little uh, old by now, so (laughs) he probably won't be able to make it himself, but we're going to role-play him. There you go. Our church has got a big passion play that they do, so it's a big production. They have, I don't know, 60 different actors in it. Oh, wow. Animals and the whole shot, so... Are you going to air this on the History Channel or something, or what? That would be great, wouldn't it? 
Have you been watching the the Bible program? Yes, I have. Um, but it's last a little, week, it's a little loose and fast with the facts. But last week they started to lose me when um, they decided to make Samson a big black guy with dreadlocks. Um, right. I was like, is that really in the Bible? <laughs> you think they did dreadlocks? They might have done dreadlocks. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look into that. But I, I don't. I don't know any black Jews. Do you? No, but uh, I don't know. I didn't. It didn't bother me. They're Middle Eastern, so yeah, they could. I'm sure that they were kind of dark skin, but I mean, this guy looked like a rapper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. It was. You had to kind of suspend disbelief, you know. For but a you know, bit. that's Hollywood. We got to spice. You know, we got to spice this up a little bit. <laughs> or I guess it's suspending belief and not suspending disbelief. Yeah. So I'm interested to see uh, in a couple of weeks how they're going to do Jesus in the New Testament. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. I, yeah. I've liked it so far. I mean, you know, it it it's it, got a lot of good stuff. Interested in, it. in going back to the Bible to see what it actually says. Yeah, it's a great thing. And they've been getting, from what I understand, they've been getting the largest audience that the History Channel has ever had is watching oh, cool. this. Yeah. Oh well, good. Maybe they'll do more of stuff like that then. Yeah, that'd be great. So Victory Bible Church, where they're doing the Passion Play, they do from the 24th through, it looks like the last date is the 30th, and that is on Egg Harbor Road in Hamilton. And so you can Google it, look it up, and we'd love to have visitors out. There's also, let's see, I'm going to be speaking a couple of times, but they're they're basically for closed groups, so for Stockton College... Christian Fellowship, and then for the Medford Alliance Youth, so that won't interest people. But there is coming up the West Westminster Conference on Science and Faith. How did it all begin? That's April fifth and sixth. So go to the website scienceandgod.org for that. And Kirk, you and I will be there, and we'd love to meet some of the local list- listeners. I met another local listener that was at a political event I was at, and he commented that he listens to the podcast so that was kind of nice yeah i guess that's it for events coming up there were a couple of news items that i got some of them are pretty interesting uh it's actually this was a a good week for news this week now this one's kind of tiny print here so let me uh pull out my reading glasses (laughs) this is the abstract from a scientific study published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal called Icarus. It's the Planetary Science Journal, and it's a study that was done by a mathematician and an astrobiologist who are involved in SETI and the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Hmm. So the headline is, Does the Genetic Code Bear a Signature of Intelligence? Uh-huh. And these scientists say, yes, it does, absolutely. Uh-huh. So here's the abstract, and in case people don't know, on most scientific studies when they're published, there will be you know all of the items that they – standard kind of format that they go through. And one of the standard formats is at the very beginning to put a short, brief description of – the results so that you don't have to read a 10-page study if you're in a hurry and you just want to get the quick. So this is kind of a a brief summary written by the scientists themselves, uh, which is important because sometimes the science writers may misunderstand something that the scientists are trying to say. So the abstract says, 
it has been repeatedly proposed to expand the scope for SETI. And again, that's Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And one of the suggested alternatives to radio, because that's how they listen, they listen for radio waves coming from outer space. One of the alternatives, it says, to radio is the biological media. Genomic DNA is already used on Earth to store non-biological information. And what they're referring to is that several scientific groups have stored text information on DNA. Just to prove that they could, they put textbooks on, they have put pictures, software programs, things like that into DNA code to prove the point that this is a code storage and retrieval system. Hmm. So you can store just regular information, just like you could put, they tell you, you know, how many Encyclopedia Britannicas could fit in DNA, and they've right. actually done it. They've actually put textbooks into the DNA. Wow. So that's what they're referring to. Then they continue on, though smaller in capacity, but stronger in noise immunity is the genetic code. The code is a flexible mapping between codons and amino acids, and this flexibility allows modifying the code artificially. Okay, in other words, not naturally. Continuing on, it says, but once fixed, the code might stay unchanged over cosmological timescales. In fact, it is the most durable construct known. So they're just saying that, you know, as if you wrote something down, there isn't anything that can survive longer periods of time than living organisms because they pass the information on organism to organism without any mistakes or virtually no mistakes. Hmm. So let's see. He, it goes on, therefore, it represents an exceptionally reliable storage for an intelligent signature if that conforms to biological and thermodynamic requirements. As the, as the actual scenario for the origin of terrestrial life is far from being settled, the proposal that it might have been seeded intentionally cannot be ruled out. So I, here's a little side point. I just want to point out that they approve the point that we've been making, Kirk, that the research on how life started is just at a dead standstill. Nobody can figure out how life could possibly have gotten started. And the more we learn about life, the further away from any uh, naturalistic explanation it gets. So they admit this in their, in their study. And it continues, a statistically strong, intelligent-like signal in the genetic code is then a testable consequence of such scenario. And here, here's the meat of what they, they found. Here we show that the terrestrial code displays a thorough precision-type orderliness matching the criteria to be considered an informational signal. Simple arrangements of the code reveal an ensemble of mathematical and ideographical patterns of the same symbolic language. Accurate and systematic, these underlying patterns appear as a product of precision logic and non-trivial computing rather than of stochastic processes. And stochastic processes are just random processes. Right. right. The null hypothesis that they are due to chance, coupled with presumably evolutionary pathways, is rejected by a p-value 
of less than 10 to the minus 13th. Okay, what does that mean? This is a statistical value of the likelihood that something is not by chance. And to just so P just means probability. So what that means is that in a normal, like a medical study, if you had P less than 10 to the minus 1, that would mean that it was a trend. That would mean basically 90% chance that it's not caused, it's not caused by chance. All right, so that would be something to look into, you know, could possibly be, you know, like, say, a medication that works and it's not chance. It's actually the medication that's working. Mm-hmm. If you get to half of that or 95%, then that is considered statistically significant, okay? If you get to P less than 10 to the minus 2 that is considered highly significant. That means that there's only a 1% chance that whatever you did is not caused by chance, whatever you were studying. that So this is true. That This medication, let's say, really does make the patient get better. It's a 99% chance that it's, it's not up to just a, a random accident. Mm-hmm. So this is minus 10, this, or less than 10 to the minus 13. So uh, 99% would be minus 2, and then every one you add is 10 times more improbable. <laughs> so that means is it to the minus 13th. That means this is incredibly improbable that it is by chance. So wow. it's, it is – I mean there, it's far beyond anything that you would ever uh, do as far as things like medical studies – you know, to prove that something is actually truly happening. This is this is far beyond this. So that means that it really is truly not the work of chance. Uh, so then they go on. The patterns display readily recognizable hallmarks of artificiality, among which are the symbol of zero, right, which would not occur in a natural experiment or a natural event. The privileged decimal syntax, okay, so things are written in decimal code and semantical symmetries. Besides, extraction of the signal involves logically straightforward but abstract operations, making the patterns essentially irreducible to natural origin. So basically it's saying the codes only exist in the person's mind, right? In the mind of the writer, and in the mind of the reader. So when you look at the DNA code, you see the, the structure of the code in your mind, but it doesn't, doesn't actually exist. So it's like looking at a piece of paper. There's ink there, there are black marks, and there is paper, but the information doesn't have anything to do with the ink or the paper. The information is only in your mind when you read it. So you show it to a cat, and the cat doesn't know what the heck is on the paper, right? It's just ink marks. Right. But an intelligence can see it and read it, and and the only way to get it there is by another intelligent mind. So, so is really, that amazing? Really, what you're saying here is it's more likely that the entire Encyclopedia Britannica came together by accident than it is that this that the DNA code came together by accident. Absolutely. That's right. So in other words, no natural process can explain the DNA code. Uh, there's a couple of the Evolution News and Views people did an article on this. 
And let's see what they said. They say, in addition, they find a decimal system including zero via the stop codons. So stop codons equate to zero. And many other fascinating signs of intelligent origin. They examine possible criticisms such as the claim that the patterns could be due to unknown natural causes, right? Okay, so maybe it's just a natural cause that they don't know. So here's a quotation from the article. It says, but this criteria is equivalent to asking if it is possible at all to embed information patterns into the code so that they could be unequivocally interpreted as an intelligent signature. The answer seems to be yes. The one way to do so is to make patterns virtual, not actual. Exactly that is observed in the genetic code. Strict balances and decimal syntax appear only with the application of the activation key. So it's only when you know the code that there is a code there that you can see the code. It's like, let's say that I told you that on the front page article of the Atlantic City Press today, there's actually a coded message to go and blow up a bridge, all right? Yeah. And I say, I tell you that if you just, like, look kind of randomly at the words, you'll see the message. All right, well, you, you would just say, well, you know what, that, that could be caused randomly, right? If you just skip through a bunch of words, maybe you'll find up the word the words, and that's where you're getting your message. But what if I tell you that by skipping a number of words and that number is written in the article itself? So it says, today at 3 o'clock, and then if you use the number 3 and you skip every third word, you get this secret message, Mm -hmm. proof that this is not an accident. Right. And what they're saying is the kind of information that is in there. So there's a decimal code. So let's see. Uh, give you an example. Let's say that the DNA wants to give the instruction to copy or, or to make 678 of a certain proteins. Okay, so it wants to make 678. Well, naturalistically or physically, the only way that you could convey that information would be to have, let's say, 678 instructions or 678 markers that would trigger those 678. But what if you had a code like we have, the decimal, which is 678, right? The number 6, the number 7, the number 8. Right. That's code for the actual physical number 678, right? right? Those three numbers exist as a code. but And you and I can interpret that because we know the decimal system. Well, guess what? The decimal system is in the DNA. Well, this kind of reminds me of, of like during World War II, the way they used to break codes. It, you're kind of using the same system to figure out what, you know, once you figure out what the the code is, then you can read these secret messages. Yes, exactly right. That's exactly right. And it can be as simple as the decimal system for a numbering, right? When we say 911, we're actually giving we we don't write out we don't make 911 hash marks on a piece of paper in order to count to 911 right we use a symbol a code system called the decimal system and it involves the numeral 9 the numeral 1 and the numeral 1 right 
911. And that tells us, that's a code that tells us that we actually mean 911. And that's the decimal code is a code that is used in the DNA. Uh, so then they go on, the article goes on, could these patterns be due to selection or any other natural process? Could they be mere epiphenomenon of chemical pressures for mass equalities or something else? And so they quote from the article, it says, no natural process can drive mass distribution to produce the balance amino acids and syntactic signs that make up this balance are entirely abstract since they are produced by translation of a string read across codons. And then the article goes on and says, even more convincing, no natural cause can produce semantics particularly the kind involving, quote, interpretive or linguistic semantics particular to intelligence, close quote. They write, quote, exactly the latter kind of semantics is revealed in the signal of the genetic code. So that is, close quote, that's a linguistic semantics. Here is a summary of the patterns they conclude show design. Quote, in total, not only the signal itself reveals intelligent-like features, strict nucleon equalities, their distinctive decimal notation, logical transformations accompanying the equalities, the symbol of zero and symmetries, but the very method of its extraction involves abstract operations – Consideration of idealized free and unmodified molecules distinct between their block and chains, the activation key, contraction and decomposition of codons, we find that taken together all these aspects point to artificial nature of the patterns, close quote. So isn't that exciting? That is really cool. Wow. Definite confirmation that the DNA code is intelligently designed. And that uh, that is just using the SETI formulations. We've, on previous shows, Kirk, you know, we've talked about how is it that the human mind recognizes intelligence, and we've seen that that kind of intelligence is shown up in the DNA code. So this is just more evidence piled upon evidence that the DNA was written by an intelligent mind. So you're saying that this this organization that's looking for intelligent signals from somewhere out in space, the same parameters that they use to recognize if they ever do get an intelligent signal from somewhere, you're saying if we apply that same standard to the genetic code, we would say that that's an intelligent um, communication in itself. That's right. It's a it's an intelligent signal. Right. Definitely came from intelligence. It's almost so, like some that, people say that that DNA is God's thumbprint. Yes, that's right. It's his signature. Yeah. He's like he signed it and said I made this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. Well, wow. if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. I'm Keith Kendricks and I'm Kirk Hastings. We're going to be talking about evolution today, very ap- apropos for the news item that we just finished. Yeah, but you know, and before we get into that, um, all this talk, you know, about these intelligent signals from space and everything kept reminding me of, of one of my favorite bumper stickers. Um, I'm, an old, I'm a fan of the old Star Trek TV series, and I love the bumper sticker that says, Beam me up, Scotty, there's no intelligent life down here. 
<laughs> there you go. But now it turns out that all life is intelligently designed, at least. Yeah, how about that? So then here is a news item about a article that's going to be published in the International Journal for the Psychology of Religion. And the title is, Atheists Become Emotionally Aroused When Daring God to Do Terrible Things. <laughs> So you know how the Bible says that atheists actually suppress the truth? Right. And we've argued that children, we know from studies that children naturally believe in God, that they naturally use logic, they naturally can detect the presence of an intelligent mind in the universe, and that that has to be suppressed. You kind of have to beat it out of a kid or you have to, you know, abandon them. If you're their father and you abandon them, they will learn that fathers cannot be trusted and therefore there is no father God. Right. Um, or even some atheistic studies have shown that um, mental defects, neurological problems cause atheism. But one of the ways that the Bible talks about people becoming atheists is by suppressing the truth and rejecting it because their deeds are evil. And so this study, what they did is the subjects were asked to read aloud statements while hooked up to a skin conductance meter, which basically measures how much you sweat. The idea is that the more you perspire, the more worked up you are about a particular statement. Right. So the findings are, they said, according to the skin conductance tests, the atheists found asking God to harm them or others to be just as upsetting as religious people did. Huh. The researchers also compared the reactions of the atheists when making statements like, I wish my parents were paralyzed and I dare God to paralyze my parents. The atheists were, just like believers, more bothered by the latter statement. Really? So, yeah. So even though the both declarations would be, in theory, equally empty if there was no uh, heavenly overseer. Right. They, but uh, apparently there is this still lingering truth that atheists have now. And one of the important things about this study is that it was done in Finland – which is traditionally considered to be a very atheistic culture. Right. So it's not like these were people raised in a Christian culture or godly, God-fearing culture, and therefore they kind of incorporated some of it. Right. Uh, this atheists from an atheistic culture, and they were just as affected as religious people, not, not even less affected. So isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is. So another, there's another biblical truth uh, proved by science. I, I have this picture in my head of, you know, these atheists saying, well, if I'm lying about this, then I hope God hits me with a lightning bolt and these big drops of sweat dropping off them while they're saying that, like, I hope I'm not wrong about this. Right. That's that, Apparently that is what the science is showing. So isn't that interesting? Yeah, really. So what we're going to do, I've got a... A, about a six-minute review of some of the developments that have been made in science and apologetics and how the more we learn, the more we study about the world, the more it fits into the Christian worldview. So we'll go over that, and then we'll get into evolution because 
I think evolution is really one of the largest stumbling stones for people not accepting Christianity. So even though Christian ideas are being more and more shown to be true by different realms of science, evolution still is a big stumbling block for people. And studies that have been done, that's one of the biggest concerns. Uh, Age of the Earth is a big one, and we'll talk about that too. Maybe if not, if we don't finish today, we'll finish next week. But at least to begin with, I just want to really emphasize what an exciting time it is, the 21st century, to be alive as a Christian because of the so many advances that we're making in the sciences. The more evidence there is that we find, it, the more we see it supports the truth of Christianity and it demonstrates the benefits that Christianity brings to, as we say, individuals, to families, to communities, and to our social institutions. So to begin with, think about the academic uh, realm of philosophy, because since the 1950s, new arguments for the existence of God have been developed, and through very careful analytical study, some older arguments for the existence of God from as far back as Plato and Aristotle and other ancient philosophers have been refined to the point that there is now a renaissance of Christian theism in academic philosophy departments in universities and societies of philosophy and something that we've talked about in past shows. Yes, I've, I've heard that a number of times, not only on our show, but uh in uh, other places on the internet and such and it but it's interesting that um as you say that that probably most people are unaware of that because the major media doesn't report most of this kind of stuff it actually did make the cover of time magazine really yes i think it was the 80s they did an article called god is not dead okay we're talking about this resurgence of theism in the philosophy departments around the universities around the world because huh. of these very strong arguments for that show that through deductive reasoning that you can show that God does exist. Interesting. And that that's something we should pull up, maybe get a, a copy of that off yeah. the internet. I must have missed that one. I remember the Time magazine with the headline, God is Dead. I don't remember the one where God is not dead. <laughs> yeah, that's why, in fact, that's why they did it, because they had been the ones who did God, God is Dead. Right. And I think that was, what, in the 60s? 70s, I think. So, and then they came back a couple decades later with this, oh, no, we were wrong. Huh, interesting. In physics, you can look at cosmology, astronomy. The discoveries over the past hundred years have given us strong scientific evidence that the universe had a beginning in the finite past, and therefore it must have been the product of a supernatural creator because nature is the physical world and something outside of the physical universe had to create it. So that would be the supernatural world. Right. In the past few decades, there have been further studies of the nature of the universe itself that have shown it to be incredibly fine-tuned for human life to exist with such a mind-boggling degree of sophistication that it provides strong evidence for the existence of a loving, all-knowing creator. And we've talked about some of those things in past shows. Mm -hmm. Even one of the world's leading atheist philosophers, Antony Flew, 
after he examined the evidence for fine tunings, turned his back on the atheism that he had promoted for more than 50 years and became a theist back in 2004 and wrote a, a book about it that you can get called There Is a God. It has There Is No God, and then the word no is crossed out, and he wrote in A God, There Is a God by Anthony Flew. Wow. If you want to look that up. What's amazing how many um, prominent Christian writers of both the past and the present started out as pretty uh, determined atheists, like, for instance, C.S. Lewis, and then later became really uh, convinced Christians. Yeah, there is a lot of that. You know, I guess on the other side, you hear about Christians becoming atheists, and if you listen to some of the atheist podcasts and things as I do, you will hear these people, but I notice something about their stories is that they never know much about the evidence for Christianity. So it'll be, I was raised in the church, we were taught to believe blind faith, and then I learned about evolution, mm-hmm. right? And then they say, so I rejected Christianity or rejected God. Right. But when it's the other way around, the people who are becoming Christians already know the evidence for, say, evolution, for atheism. They are atheists. They are people who are arguing. Like Antony Flew for 50 years was the, the world's leading atheist. Right. When he examined the evidence for the existence of God, he became a Christian. Well, didn't become a Christian. He became a theist. So you see, when the, when the people convert, uh, so many of them from being atheists, it's not because they don't know the other side of the argument. They do know the other side of the argument, but when they see the argument for Christianity, it's just so much better, so much stronger. And really what you're saying, it sounds like the problem with a lot of uh, so-called Christians that do uh, give that up at some point never really truly understood what Christianity was to begin with. So when something like a convincing argument for evolution came along, they had um, no intellectual defense against that, and they're just, okay, this sounds good, so I'm going to change my mind. Well, and it's not that they didn't know about Christianity, because uh, one uh, guy that I listened to a lot was actually a pastor. He's a, a former pastor. Right. So they know an awful lot about Christianity, but they just didn't know any of the evidence that it was true. So they held on to Christianity as a kind of a blind faith. An emotional and, thing. Yes, exactly right. An emotional thing, right? They they uh, loved God with their heart, but not with their mind. Right. And so when these very strong, and we don't deny that the atheistic arguments are not strong, right? They are strong. When the, these very strong arguments came along and they had nothing to base their faith on, they gave it up. Right. And uh, that is what we're seeing today with kids having doubts in junior high and high school and so many atheist teachers and even Christian teachers who are not permitted to teach the truth about evolution or Christianity with a, just a one-sided, this is how atheism wins, by being one-sided. And that's why, you know, I mean, look, Kirk, you know that you and I would be debating atheists all the time on our radio show if they would be willing to come on, but they're not, because they know they lose, so they don't come on the show. 
But I, I find even like when I talk to them on the Internet, uh, they give me the same arguments over and over again. And if I give them counter evidence to what they're saying, they just basically ignore what I said. And they just keep saying the same thing they've been saying all along. They really don't hear the other side. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And 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 as we learn from this study with the you know the skin testing there deep down they have are real problems you know they they have real emotional anxiety about what they're doing so you can see that there is something else behind it than just the the truth and that really ties in with uh, I'm thinking of the first couple of chapters of the book of Romans and the New Testament where it says that God has put knowledge of himself in everyone and it's that knowledge that atheists are deliberately denying, but it's still there, and it still bothers them to some extent. That's right, and, and, and not just to some extent. Apparently, it bothers them just as much as it bothers uh, religious people that, that there is God, and if you were to wish you know, God to do something evil to someone, that would bother you. It bothers them just as much. Yeah. So deep, deep down, they do know that, that God exists, even though they deny it, what the Bible calls it, they suppress the truth. Yeah, and it says they're willfully ignorant. So let's uh, let's turn now from the macro world to the micro world, because discoveries over the past few decades by microbiologists and geneticists have been just as earth-shaking as the ones we talked about. The electron scanning microscope has revealed the living cell to be an incredibly complex system of thousands of intricately coordinated tiny nanomachines, like a vast fully automated city of robots building and repairing other robots for the purpose of manufacture and transportation, communication, energy supply, defense, propagation, on and on. Waste All removal. that tells these machines what to build and when is stored on the DNA that itself is controlled by and repaired by other machines, and there's about 50 of those machines whose blueprints are also encoded in the very DNA that they repair. So it is just layer uh, upon layer upon layer of complexity that all has to be present from the beginning in order for life to be there. Right. And, we, and all this information was not known in, for instance, Charles Darwin's time. And I've heard right. some people say that if Darwin were alive today, if he could see what we've discovered since he was, you know, around, that he would probably immediately give up his own theory. Well, if you go by what he said in Origin of the Species, then he definitely would. Yeah. Because he said, you know, what... What, what I would have to be shown in order for me to give up my theory, and that has been shown over and over again. Right, exactly. Genetics, geneticists even know now that the DNA is multi-encoded to provide backup systems for backup systems with large sections of the DNA code turned off and maintained for future use in case of changing climate or food sources or other environmental stresses. Right. So the organism can adapt by re-engineering its offspring to a changing environment and survive. Yeah, This is just amazing discoveries that have been made in just the past 10 to 20 years about the fact that the DNA actually re-engineers itself and stores multiple forms of information so that the organism 
its progeny can survive when the climate changes. That is exciting stuff, and it's exciting to think how much more we're going to learn about that probably in the next couple decades. It's, it's going to be staggering probably. Yes, yeah, it seems to be more and more. So in the face of all this evidence and the fact that most of the major evidences for evolution have collapsed, the atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel wrote a book in November last year which was subtitled, Why the Materialist Neo-Darwinian Conception of Nature is Almost Certainly False. So, And, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time for the rest of the show and next week talking about that very topic, why the materialist Neo-Darwinian Conception of Nature is Almost Certainly False. Is that a book that he's written? Yeah, the book is called Mind and Cosmos. Okay. And, but that's the subtitle. Right. So, and he examines all this new information that they've been finding out about how organisms actually live, what, what actually happens in the DNA code. Then we don't want to miss out on the archaeologists. I mean, think about all of the discoveries. It seems like every turn of the archaeologists' spade in the past century has only piled evidence upon evidence higher and higher for the reliability of the biblical record. I find that really interesting. It, it's true that it seems like almost every week they're coming out with a new archaeological discovery that proves that the historical details in the Bible are accurate right down to the tiniest detail. That's, that's right. And the you know the old theories I had, we had somebody ask us on the Facebook page about the old discredited higher criticism, the what they call the documentary theory that the Bible was you know written by men. Uh, hundreds of years after the events and, you know, the, specifically talking about the Old Testament, and that has been completely discredited. But there's all kinds of mounting evidence about things like, as as seemingly insignificant, but we were able to find this archaeologically, as uh, Joseph being actually being vizier over Egypt. Right, and even new arguments for the resurrection of Jesus as the best explanation for what have been recognized now as established facts of the crucifixion, the empty tomb, and the post-mortem appearances of a risen Jesus. Those facts and those arguments are being vigorously defended thanks to the scholarly consensus that those specific points in history are actually facts of history. Yeah, I'm reminded of the guest we had on the show a few weeks ago that was talking about cold case Christianity. Yeah, that's right. And he used those minimal facts, and then it's just a matter of interpreting those facts. What do those facts lead one to conclude? And he showed how the only logical conclusion is that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Right. And speaking of Jesus... Look at what we found out in the field of history, right? The teachings of the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus the Messiah, impacted the world for good as no one ever has. And researchers, historians and researchers have drawn connections between the teachings of Christianity and the development of behaviors and institutions that have led directly to the dramatic improvement of human flourishing over the past 
to millennia. So down through the centuries, things like the establishment of hospitals and universities, free market economies, and truly democratic societies. Christianity, for instance, rid the world of much of the evils such as infanticide and the treatment of women as property. Twice it rid the world of slavery, once during the Roman Empire and again after the colonial period. And multiple historians have now documented how the direct teaching of Christian principles led to the beginning of the scientific study of the world and the birth of the scientific method. In fact, We've mentioned on the show before, almost every founder of a new branch of science was a devout Christian creationist scientist. Mm -hmm. So, And then even uh, in sociology, psychology, neurology, in their studies, they've demonstrated the benefits of Christianity to the individual for mental and physical health, including lifespan, happiness, lack of stress, marital success – Significant reductions in depression, drug abuse, and criminal behavior. So much so, one atheist author who researched the data openly proclaimed in a blog that he did that he would rather trust a Christian than an atheist. Hmm. So, for our listeners, the truth of Christianity is based solidly on evidence and reason and makes the world a better place by making people better human beings. All this evidence and more supporting the truth of Christianity has become so large that Christian universities and seminaries have opened up many new departments and programs to begin training graduate students in this rapidly expanding field of Christian apologetics, which I'm sure most people know is the defense of Christianity. Right. That really is the whole point of this radio program. You should become a Christian and All of this evidence is mounting more and more. So what we'll do is we'll get into the topic of evolution and and in order to prove what Thomas Nagel put it, why the materialist neo-Darwinian concept of nature is almost certainly false. So let's see, we've got about four minutes left, so we're not going to be able to get into the meat of it, but we will go over six facts that we're going to be talking about next week. We're going to talk over the fact that there are two kinds of evolution, micro and macro, and that's something that we did an entire show on in the past, if you want to look up that podcast. That was one of the big things, too, that uh, once I understood that about evolution, it really enabled me as a Christian to put evolution in its proper perspective. Right. It finally made sense to you, right? Yes. Yeah. And and then all the evidence then matches. You know, before it's like, oh, gosh, I'm not so sure that that evidence that they're purporting to support evolution, it's, it, oh, it's kind of worrying to me. Maybe evolution is true. But once you define it down and you figure out exactly what's going on, it really makes a lot of sense. Well, actually, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> well, the facts begin to make sense. Let's put it that way. Right. You begin to understand what's what's the real scientific truth and what's part of it is just propaganda. And how, how it is that they're misinterpreting. Yes. So secondly, we're going to talk about the standard evidences for evolution and how those have collapsed. That should be interesting. That's uh, things like the peppered moths. Right. Peppered moths, the finch beaks, uh, whale evolution is one of the newer ones that you hear about. We didn't hear about it so much uh, when I was in school. Right. 
antibiotic resistance, uh, you know, Darwin's tree of life, the Haeckel's embryos, chimp DNA, you know, the similarities between things like bone structures of different organisms, the fossil record, right. and all those so-called evidences have been debunked and collapsed. They, their explanatory power is very, very limited these days. Huh. Third, we're going to go over about the fact that DNA is programmed to re-engineer itself. So this explains all of what we see as, as supposed evidence. Fourth, we're going to talk about how organisms change only within their kind, within their, their genetic pool, the, the information that they share together. Right. And we'll talk about the evidence for a worldwide flood. And finally, we'll get into the evidence for a young Earth. So please join us again next week. Kirk, any parting uh, comments? It sounds like a really interesting show. I'm going to be here for it next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. have been listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. Send your comments and questions to email at evidenceforfaith.com. Please join us again next week for more reasons to believe. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true. Yeah,